0: Howdy friends, welcome to the Bloody Bizarre Podcast. My name's Emma. I'm Sarah. Did not like that. <laughs> Every time I'm listening to a podcast, I try and like take note of how the presenter says hello and if it's one that I haven't heard before, I like tuck it in my pocket Ugh. to use. <laughs> uh, thanks everyone for tuning in week, week after week. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks to our friends who are listening because mm-hmm. you guys... You know, we we don't, know. it this might be kind of shit and you guys still listen because no, you're it, good friends. Not might be. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we just kind of like talking to each other and if we record it, then it's like, we have to research it and do it properly. It's almost like billable hours. Almost yeah. like, yeah, it feels like we make we're nothing working out of this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It feels like a job, but it's like a fun job. Mm. Mm. Because we both hate our job, so. Yeah, exactly. We both hate our own job, so it's yeah. like we pretend that this is a job. Yeah. It's kind of like playing pretend. Yeah. Which it's, is sad. It's like an adult version of playing pretend. That's really sad. Yeah. Wow, I think I just had a breakthrough. I'm going to rock up to my day job. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Um, I hope you enjoyed last week's Black Mountain ep. Yeah. I hope no one's gone there. Respect... Yeah, like we said, you can drive past it. That's cool. Yeah. You're just not allowed to go there. I have a long one today. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think I'm just going to jump straight in. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm excited. I'm going to tell you, first of all, my sources. I've got a few. Um, mm-hmm. Wikipedia, mm-hmm. Uh, a news.com article by Candace Sutton, a Marie Claire.com article by Michael Crooks, stayathomemum.com article by Jodie Allen, WHday article by Heather McNeil and multiple ABC News articles. What's a West Australian one? Today, I'm taking us through Western Australia's biggest, most expensive and longest running investigation. Oh my God. Are you doing the Claremont killer? (gasps) That's right. Oh my God. Today, I'm doing the Claremont serial killings. Oh, I'm so excited because you listened to this whole podcast series, didn't you? I did, but... Before I jump right in, I've got a disclaimer at the top that this is absolutely not exhaustive. I've left out a lot of information, but I I hit 10 pages and I was like, I've got I've to start gotta wrapping stop. up. Yeah. 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 So I would encourage anyone who is interested or, um, you know, their interest is piqued by this or has ever wanted to know more to do their own research because mm-hmm. there's just so much information on this. So... Let me start by telling you about the town of Claremont. Sitting on the banks of the Swan River, Claremont is one of the wealthiest suburbs here in Perth with multi-millionaires living and working in the leafy town. I mean, I used to work there. I've got it written there (laughs) that it's really funny that you used to work there because you were decidedly not a millionaire. Yeah, at that time I was like possibly the brokest I've ever been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really funny. You were definitely the brokest person in Claremont. Oh, for sure. By a long shot. Yeah. I, they would have smelled it on me. Yeah, I reckon they did. Yeah. I reckon that's why some people took a shine to you because they were like, oh, that's my poor friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like the um, diversity poor person. Yeah, the diversity higher. Yeah. <laughs> the blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl was the most diverse they got there. Yeah. So that's why it was such a shock when on twenty seventh of January nineteen ninety six, Sarah Spears, eighteen years old, she was working as a receptionist at the time and was enjoying a night out at Claremont. She was at Club Bayview, which was also known as Club Baseview, because it was where people drank and spewed up a lot. Mm. Uh, it was really popular and it actually still stands today. Yeah, you know that I used to when I worked there, I used to walk past that. I know it's club right in the corner, to yeah. Get, yeah, to yeah. get to the where I parked. Mm-hmm. So she left the club at around 2 a.m. And at 2, 2.06 a.m., Sarah called swan taxis from a public telephone booth. At the time, she was living with her sister in South Perth, uh, but she requested that she be dropped off in the suburb of Mosman Park. And I read that she'd made arrangements to stay with a friend who lived in Mosman Park. So she was then sighted by three eyewitnesses standing on the corner of Stirling Road and Stirling Highway, and she was alone. Uh, that intersection is right near the club, so I reckon she... Called the cab and then was like, "I'll meet you on the corner," mm-hmm. and then walked down there to meet the cab. These eyewitnesses also saw a car stopping near where she was. That's right. These were the. This was the car with the guys in. Hey, there was like three guys in the car. The Burger Boys. So there's there's also three other eyewitnesses that I think dubbed the Burger Boys. Okay. That they're at a bus stop when the taxi got to the location that Sarah had specified at 2:09. So just three minutes after the call was placed, Sarah was not seen. Uh, It was later revealed in trial that people had heard screaming that night in Mosman Park. Um, But we can't say for sure if that was or was not Sarah. Because despite her disappearance creating a bit of a media frenzy, and even more so in the following years, Sarah Spears has never been found alive or dead. Just two days after her disappearance, um, her case was handed over to the major crime squad, which I think is quite surprising. Like they knew. Yeah, it's like they were like, this is not a normal disappearance or you know she's not run away or anything like that yeah, yeah. about five months later june 9th of the same year jane rimmer a 23 year old childcare worker was out socializing with friends they'd been to the ocean beach hotel to the continental hotel and then club bayview Apparently that night, Jane was a bit teary and emotional because she felt unattractive and she really wanted a boyfriend and her friends had spent the night kind of trying to cheer her up, which we've all had those nights before. When they got to their final stop, there was a really long line out the front. So her friends were like, oh, let's just call it a night. And they all like piled into a taxi and they were like, come on, Jane, come with us. Like, you know, she'd been kind of down all night and they were like, let's just call it a night. Let's just go. Home. Yeah. But she declined their offer because she wanted to stay out. And I can so imagine that. You're like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to stay out. I'm going to like, you're so self-destructive when you're in those yeah, moods. Yeah. It's like you've had such a shit day that you just like want to absolutely write yourself off and do yeah. something stupid. Like, That's right. So, so yeah, she declines their offer to go in the taxi with them and she stays out. She was seen on a security camera outside the Continental at 12.04 AM. So what time, What? so what time did her friends leave? I think it was just before midnight. I don't have it written down, but I'm pretty sure I read just before midnight. So she didn't stay that long? Well, well she's seen outside the club on the footage. We don't know what time she left. Okay. Um, because Jane was never seen alive again after mm. that footage. Her naked body was found 55 days later in bushland near Wolcott Road in Wellard. Now, I would also like to mention that Nick lives very close to this location. Really, where she was found. Mm -hmm. So back in the 90s, Wellard was not as suburban as it is today. It was essentially like rural properties. Really. But uh, I'd also mention that Wellard is 40 kilometres or 25 miles south of Perth. And yeah, like you say, her body was found by a family who were picking wildflowers. The woman who found the body said that she spotted a death lily, which was one of the biggest she'd ever seen. And so she kind of like veered off her path to pick this lily. And that's where she found Jane's body. It's so random. It is. Like it's it's a random activity to do with your family. Like yeah. well, I, I know nowadays you, you, it's illegal. You know you're not meant to pick wildflowers. Well, it's actually life. illegal. It's $2,000. Fine. Yeah. FYI. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like it's random that they were there doing it and like yeah. then. it's it's so chance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So after Jane's disappearance, we then saw the formation of the special task force called MACRO. Now, anyone who knows about this case has heard special task force Matt Gray before and they were formed to investigate these two cases because I guess they knew that somehow that they were linked the, mm-hmm. the two girls were similar age they were both kind of last seen in the same area in Claremont and so I, I guess the, the police pretty quickly linked them um, even though they weren't able to confirm that Sarah had been murdered. Zooming forward nine months later, Saturday, fifteenth of March, uh, Kira Glennon, twenty seven years old and a lawyer, was out with her friends in the Claremont area. She'd been with friends at the Continental and had decided to call it a night and head home. I've seen people pronounce her name like the singer, like Ciara, but she was Irish, and so and I think that they pronounce like C I A R A as Kira. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm going to go with. She was witnessed by three men at a bus stop. I think these are the Burger Boys. Ah, uh, yeah. Walking down Sterling Highway, they say they saw Kira talking with someone in a light coloured vehicle. Oh, and I should mention, if anyone that doesn't know the case, these three men were dubbed the Burger Boys. I think because they had they were eating burgers or something like that, or it was some reason why they were dubbed the Burger Boys during the trial. Um, but I'll come I'll come on to them a little later on as well. But so these three people saw her walking down Sterling Highway. They saw Kira talking with someone in a light coloured vehicle. Nineteen days later. Her semi-clothed body was found by a bushwalker on a track off Pipperdinny Road in Eglinton, which is 40 kilometres or 25 miles north of Perth. Now, police were aware they were looking for a serial killer, and the WA government offered a reward of $250,000 for any information that would lead to the killer's arrest, and this was the largest reward ever offered in w- in Western Australia at that time. I was going to say, in the 90s, that's a lot. lot money, yeah. yeah. Considering a house back then was like... Pfft, 80 grand. Yeah. 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 <laughs> fucking old people <laughs> perth-born actress isla fisher appeared in public appeals um meanwhile a special taxi rank was set up in claremont and club bayview put on put on its own reward and had its own bus to take women home uh Alison fan a veteran and much-loved news reporter said quote claremont is a very affluent suburb where you thought nothing bad could ever happen but these women got snatched off the street from then on women only went out in groups it completely changed perth so I want you to try and put yourself in the shoes of a detective at this point in time. You don't know who's done this. Where are you starting your investigation? I hate to say it, but you know how mum used to always be like, I suspect taxi, like fake taxi drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So the police did initially focus on the vehicle or vehicle scene at the disappearance of Sarah and Kira. They also suspected it might have been a taxi driver or at least someone posing as a taxi driver. That's what I would have.
1: Yeah, been. I mean, that would it be. does. My,
0: I mean, obviously now in hindsight, yeah. I know that that. I mean, like, I know where this case where this is goes, going. Yeah. But that definitely would have been my initial thought, that it was somebody who was pretending to be a taxi driver. Yeah, and also, I think, I mean, we'll go on to learn that the, that the car is not completely um, insignificant. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they thought it might have been someone posing as a taxi driver or a taxi driver themselves. So because of this suspicion, they undertook a massive DNA and fingerprint collection exercise. Thousands of WA taxi drivers were examined um, and while this didn't lead to the killer, it did expose some pretty scary things. So police were given evidence about a number of unlicensed taxis that were operating. Um, 78 drivers were revealed to have significant criminal history. And a number of decommissioned taxis were found to still have their insignia and equipment. This was all rectified as a result of the investigation. My oh God. You, people can't see my face, but I am... Sarah. Shook, agape. Shooketh. Yes. At its peak, the MACRO task force had over 100 members, over 10 teams. And MACRO has been pretty heavily criticised for some of the decisions that were made during the time that they were investigating this. But I think it was also is important to note that this was so out of the ordinary for Perth. Yeah. Um, even now, something like this would be um, incredibly, you know, our, our detectives would not be... Or have, like, serial, serial killers. killers. I mean, yeah. we say that, but then there's, like, David Burney and, like it's just like it's notable when when if people are like going missing yeah it's it's, like it's it's unusual for mm, perth definitely yeah um so they were the macro task force they were really careful about what information was released to the public and many believe that some of the information that the police held would have worked to make young women safer It was revealed in December 2015 uh, that fibres taken from Jane were identified as coming from a VS Series 1 Holden Commodore, which was one of the cars seen that night. So you'd think release that as soon as you know. Women can then avoid that car. Yeah, but I suppose in their minds they're, you know, maybe – of course they're withholding evidence so that they can kind of catch, catch the, the person. Yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, like, could you also save someone's life yeah. by not? Yeah. I mean, it's tricky to look back on it in hindsight and uh, yeah, of course, of course. Um, it was also 12 years before the police released footage of Jane talking to the unidentified man outside the Claremont Hotel. Mm. And that's a long time for the, like, even the best memory. Mm-hmm. No one's going to fucking remember who, like, who was where on what night, especially if there's um, alcohol involved, like, yeah. and, and what's that got to do with the investigation? They must have had a reason for doing that. There must have been some reason that they didn't want that to be out in the public. I don't know. I can't think of a reason, but yeah. <laughs> there must have been a reason. Yeah well so that so they were criticized for that um macro sent a questionnaire to 110 persons of interest one of the questions asking bluntly are you the killer (laughs) i remember that yeah (laughs) imagine if you accidentally ticked yes and then you're like oh fuck and you whited it out and ticked no no. and you're like are they gonna think (laughs) (laughs) it's it's such a like i'm almost like if it wasn't such a serious subject matter i'd be like are they making a joke joke? yeah yeah Yeah, i know what's a joke it seems like it because like really yeah I know I guess they thought like maybe if this person is unhinged they might be like don't get me wrong I like it I just think that it's like it's literally like you're joking yeah I know (laughs) Um, the, another criticism was that the task force was said to be too heavily relying on international experts. And they were also using a lie detector, which I don't necessarily fault them for. This was the Mm nineties. I don't think that we had all like accepted that lie detectors were bullshit. Yeah. They were probably just like, we'll use Mm everything at our disposal. Yeah. Um, also one officer from macro accepted an offer by David Burney to assist in the investigation. Mm hmm. Criticism was also laid on its overly narrow focus on the initial prime suspect, despite the lack of direct evidence. And that leads us to the suspects in this case. Mm -hmm. So in April, 1998, a year after the last known murder, uh, a public servant from Cottesloe, Lance Williams, who was 41, was identified by police as the prime suspect after his behaviour attracted their attention. He was driving around after midnight, circling the Claremont area up to 30 times during a decoy operation the police had set up, and he actually offered to pick up one of the decoy cops, female police officers they had, walking around. He was subjected to a high level of surveillance and police pressure over several years, and he continued to maintain his innocence over that period of time he was even like interviewed by media outlets and there's there's so much um so many pieces of footage you can see of him answering questions and he's definitely a weird he's an odd cat you know mm. um so did he ever because i i do remember that guy mm. he said that like the police ruined his life and stuff yeah but did he ever explain why he was circling he them? wanted to keep women safe apparently oh. that, that was his explanation and his parents were like yeah he's odd but that was his explanation. He was like, I want to, I, you know, I know that women have been taken. I want to keep them safe. That's actually really sweet if that is the case. Yeah. Um, so. Like just a little a little bit weird, but like you actually have, yeah, like yeah. really good intentions. Yeah, yeah. It's just going about the wrong way, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, after interviewing him six times at length, police declared in, in late 2008 that he was no longer a person of interest. He died 10 years later in 2018. Um and like I say, he was definitely weird, but I feel like the police could have cleared him much earlier than, than that. And so he was only a free man for 10 years before yeah. he died. Or like, you know, essentially he was free his whole life, but he was he was subjected to this intense scrutiny and there was media banging on his door. Yeah. And like if a, Everyone in Perth knew his name and associated him with the case. And, and there were a whole bunch of people that still believed that he did it because the police essentially said that he did. Mm. They were essentially saying, we just don't have the evidence to mm-hmm. prove it. Yeah. Bradley John Murdoch, the backpacker murderer of Peter Falconio was briefly suspected. But he was eventually ruled out. British serial rapist and murderer Mark Philip Dixie was closely investigated before being ruled out. Even the former mayor of Claremont, Peter Weigers, or Weigers, was looked at during this. A thorough investigation resulted in no evidence being found linking him to the crimes. But Peter Weigers was the mayor at the time of the disappearance and the killings. He was targeted by the victims' families concerning the town's duty of care regarding the security of the area. And Mr. Weigers had many investment properties, one being inhabited by an ex-taxi driver who had a few old taxis on his on his property, but he was eventually cleared as well. So at this point, it seemed that the macro task force had run out of suspects and that the Claremont serial killings might remain unsolved. That was until 22nd of December, 2016. A Telstra, which is formerly known as Telecom technician, Bradley Robert Edwards was arrested after a DNA match was found. I just got chills. I need to know how he came about to mm-hmm. be even in there, I've got all the details. Um, so, yes, I'm going to get to how he was, how he popped up on their radar, essentially. I do know that he had a history. I know about that. Well, I'm going to go through all that. Okay. So, um, Edwards, who was 48 at the time of his arrest, had no previous links to this case. Edwards had been married twice and volunteered at his stepdaughter's little athletics club. Bradley, normal robert. normal guy normal guy by all accounts yep except when you look at his like criminal history bradley robert edwards grew up in huntingdale with his parents and a younger brother and sister his father worked for telstra and bradley uh bradley followed in his footsteps and worked for telstra as a technician his whole working life so let's talk about how edwards popped up on the police radar after so long and with seemingly no links to the case you'd think that they wouldn't even be looking into it anymore wouldn't you I guess it's like probably the most high profile case yes, in, in WA history. Yeah. yeah. So before he was assigned to the first of the Claremont serial killings case, Detective Sergeant Terry Dobson. Detective Sergeant Terry Dobson was the lead investigator on Bradley Edwards' first known attack when the future killer was just 19 years old. On the night of February 14th, 1988, the detective was called out to a family home in the suburb of Huntingdale where an 18-year-old girl had been attacked in her bed. Uh, the girl awoke to find a man on top of her, his hand over her mouth. She dug her nails into his cheek and he jumped off and then when she looked, he was standing in the bedroom doorway uh, wearing what looked like to her a woman's 90. Uh, she screamed for her dad. Her dad runs out. The the guy flees, but he leaves behind a silky white kimono. Disgusting. Yeah, I don't know whether to laugh or... Yeah. Like? Uh, quote, it was a strange attack, recalls Dobson. He had unplugged the telephone and closed the parents' bedroom door. The kimono got our attention as you don't often have things like that at a crime scene. End quote. <laughs> So on a hunch, a fellow detective suggested they use his mate's tracker dogs to see if the kimono could be traced. The next day, the two dogs followed the garments sent to a nearby house where a couple lived. Inside, police found the sash that belonged to the kimono. So after clearing the husband as a suspect, the detectives learned the kimono had been stolen from the property. But despite a thorough investigation, the case went cold. So Dobson says, I'd like to say Bradley Edwards was on our radar back then, but his name never came up. Dobson had been promoted to the major crime squad when Sarah Spears disappeared. So he's worked on these two cases without even knowing that they're related. connects, crazy. Yeah. You'd almost, I feel like that moment when, when you, you find do out. connect them, like me personally, I would think that I was making connections. Making, them. Exactly. I would think that I was like going crazy and you know, the string on the board that I was exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so he's now promoted to Major Crime Squad, so he's now working on this Claremont serial killings case, right? Um, So, the next week, Dobson took a call from a local detective who believed he had a related case from the year before. A 17-year-old girl had been brutally raped in Karrakatta Cemetery after being abducted from a Claremont park. Says Dobson, I recall thinking this is him. The woman said that she'd been out for the night at Club Bayview in Claremont and was walking home through Row Park in Claremont when she was grabbed from behind, a piece of cloth stuffed in her mouth, and she was tied up with a cord and a bag placed over her head. The man drove around for 20 to 30 minutes before taking her to a remote part of the Caracatta Cemetery where he raped her multiple times. The woman pretended to be unconscious and the man threw her into some bushes before driving away. The woman ran from the cemetery naked to the nearby Hollywood Hospital where a rape kit was undertaken and DNA was retrieved. But it would take many years and two more killings for forensics to prove that all these cases were connected. Up until 2008, all the detectives had to link the crimes was a blue polyester fibre from a pair of Telstra trousers found on the bodies of Rimmer, Glennon, as well as the 17-year-old rape survivor. So he was wearing the same pants when he... Well, he was wearing Telstra-issued pants, not necessarily their very same pair. But it was also revealed in trial that Telstra at the time used a very unique thread to make their pants. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why they were able to say definitively, this is Telstra pants. This isn't just any blue pants. Wow. I know. So... In 2008, a specialised UK lab made a breakthrough. They found DNA from an unknown male in a sample taken from under Kira Glennon's fingernails. That, when run through the Western Australian database, matched samples taken from the survivor of the cemetery attack. So they now knew whoever raped the 17-year-old in Karakata Cemetery was also the elusive Claremont serial killer. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know who that was yet. Yeah. What year did that happen? 2008. Two thousand and eight, they linked those two. They linked those two cases, or those four cases. Yeah, well, three cases. They had DNA from Kira Glennon's fingernails. They knew that. Well, they thought they knew that that was linked to both Sarah Spears' disappearance and Jane Rimmer's death as well. And they now knew that the rape that, victim, that was, the rape, yeah, had the same DNA. So in two thousand and sixteen, as a part of a review by WA Police of local cold cases, the kimono from the 1988 attack was retested, they found sperm that was also a match to the unknown male's DNA, the Claremont killer. So now they know. It's, oh, yes. That's my, like it's being a detective at that time, Would it would be mind-blowing. You'd be like, how fucking random yes. that this weirdo thing that happened in Huntingdale in 1988 that like wasn't even that serious. I mean, serious, yes, but they wouldn't have taken it that seriously. Correct. He's the same person that has committed the... He's the most infamous. And they wouldn't have even been looking for it. And then they, no. they test this sperm and they're like, are you fucking kidding this me? This is why they need to – police everywhere need to take sexual crimes so seriously. I'm going to go on to talk about this shit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so where was I? So, yeah, they found sperm that also matched the unknown male's DNA, the Clément killer. It was, sorry, that also means that he jacked off into the kimono. hmm Ugh. Or that he was like, because when he was on top of this girl, maybe he had like pre-cum or something. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> Um. So detectives didn't know their suspect's name, but they knew from the kimono, they knew the person that had, that had attacked this girl in her bed in Huntingdale had been prowling the area stealing women's clothes, and they had a fingerprint taken from the doorknob of one of those properties. When it was analyzed, investigators were stunned to find it matched Edwards. Now, his fingerprints were on file because he'd been convicted of assaulting a social worker in a Mm -hmm. hospital in 1990 when he was there to repair repair phone lines. Working on a Telstra job at Hollywood Hospital in 1990, Edwards attacked 40-year-old Wendy Davis, Wendy was sitting at her desk when a young Telstra worker asked her if he could use the toilet that was situated behind where Wendy worked. Wendy said yes and then kept working. All of a sudden, Wendy was grabbed from behind and dragged violently towards the toilets. She fought her attacker and she kicked him. Um, Edwards eventually lets her go and he says quote sorry sorry police attended and edwards was charged with assault and had to undertake 12 months of counseling and this is where his fingerprints were taken Mm -hmm. a member of telstra spoke to wendy a few days after the assault and apologized for his behavior but edwards did not lose his job in fact just a few years later he was promoted that's fucking crazy but how insane are those links yeah i know it's It's kismet. But also, like, good police work. Yes. Like the fact that That they they were retesting shit from Twitter. Yeah, yeah, double checking. They were testing things from a long time overseas to to have the most advanced DNA testing. Yeah, exactly. They weren't just like, eh, well, you know, it's It's done. It's never going to be solved. Yeah. So, convinced they knew Edwards was the killer, police began tracing him, tracking him. They collected DNA from a sprite bottle he'd discarded while he was at the movies with his stepdaughter. (laughs) So, Golden State killer. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it was a match. They'd got him. So police charged him with the murders of the three women, Sarah, Jane and Kira, as well as as the two other historical crimes, the attack on the 18-year-old at her home in 1988 and the rape and abduction of the 17-year-old in Katakata Cemetery in 1995. It's Karakata, isn't it? What did I say? Katakata. Oh, Karakata, yes. Do you remember when you heard I remember what, hearing I, that I I heard it first on the radio I didn't see it on TV I heard it on the radio yeah that the somebody had been arrested, arrested and charged yeah. and yeah. I was like what the fuck I thought it wasn't going to go anywhere I thought it was going to be like oh he's not the guy yeah well yeah. I know I actually was like I don't think they would have arrested him unless they were sure certain yeah so he was charged with all that on the advice of his lawyers, Edwards pleaded guilty to the two other attacks, which was five charges. Um, it, it was things like abduction, forcible rape, like three, two counts of forcible rape, maybe more, I'm not sure. Anyway, but not the murders of the Claremont victims. He pleaded not guilty to that. And so I think, if I remember correctly, that his lawyers um, argued to have those two crimes tried separately because they went to, the prosecution were arguing that they were propensity crimes so they were saying that these go towards his propensity to commit these further crimes what does that mean so they're saying the prosecution is saying if he's able to do these he's able to do this if he's able to okay. to brutally rape this this girl and attack this woman in her home, that goes towards his propensity to do it later on. And what were the defence saying? No, that's not fair. That's not fair. Let's sever the two. Okay. And let's try these separately. And that's why they were saying no. plead guilty to those, and we'll just like we'll cop that, but plead not guilty to that mm-hmm. to to the to the killings. But I'm pretty sure that they were they were still all tried together. Mm-hmm. I can't be sure of that though. That's something I probably should have checked, but you know, it's not it's not that important to mm-hmm. the case. Due to the publicity. Surrounding the trial and the graphic nature of the evidence the defense motion to have um, a bench trial so judge only no jury uh, was granted the murder trial began on 25th of november 2019 before supreme court justice stephen hall coming out of semi-retirement to cover the trial for seven reporter Alison fan sat in the court every day of what the local media dubbed the trial of the century and she sat alongside those close to the victims. Um, Glennon's father, Dennis, attended most days. So too did Spears' parents, Don and Carol, and Rimmer's siblings, Adam and Lee. Rimmer's father, Trevor, died in 2008. And her mother, who has suffered a series of strokes, is in aged care. And I'm not even sure if she's still alive. This was at the time of, that I have read that article. So, yeah. Arguably, the prosecution's most damning evidence was the DNA found under Curious fingernails. Therefore, the defense targeted this. That was their approach. Their main argument was that it was contaminated in the lab. And I think that's a pretty good argument, given the evidence had been sent overseas to be tested. So you can understand why there would have been concerns about... Chain of custody contamination, at least to an outsider that maybe doesn't know how these processes work. I'm sure that this kind of shit happens all the time. That you send DNA to like more advanced laboratories, but or laboratories. I'm not sure what the correct pronunciation is, but but you know, I, I can understand why they would argue that, especially given that it's the the strongest link of their client to the crimes. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's going to create doubt, and that's what yeah. you want to do. You just want to create doubt, don't sure. You? Yeah, but I mean, I think I I, I think it's a bad approach given that it's a bench trial yeah because the judge is gonna be more knowledgeable more educated which yeah is, yeah yeah i think if it if it was a jury yes yeah but yeah the judge is like i'm also surprised that the the defense i mean i guess but to, uh, i'm surprised the defense didn't, didn't lodge a motion to have it tried out of state yeah with a jury oh uh, yeah yeah More, I mean, you know, all you've got to do is introduce doubt doubt into one juror. Bench trials are like notoriously difficult to, Mm. you know, usually it's the prosecution arguing for a bench trial. Anyway, so another angle that the prosecution was attacking was the Telstra connection. So Edwards had worked for the telecommunications company his entire life and it was suggested that Edwards was using his work vehicle outside of work hours to commit the crimes. Also, he had those panties, you know, Mm. pantaloons. Pantaloons. (laughs) Um. The prosecution presented a witness, a security guard, who recalled seeing a telecom, which is Telstra's previous name, a a telecom van parked on multiple occasions at the Karrakatta Cemetery, quote, for no apparent reason, both after the 1995 attack and before Spears' 1996 disappearance. According to the prosecutor, Carmel Barbagallo, the state presented this evidence as a part of a case called... The Telstra Living Witness Project, where between 1995 and 1997, a man with a Telstra station wagon stopped to look at women and offer them rides. During the trial, a witness from a group of men, um, these are the guys dubbed the Burger Boys, who were the witnesses who saw Kira on Sterling Highway, identified a Series 1 VS Commodore station wagon as cruising past them shortly after Glennon walked past. The vehicle had distinctive teardrop hubcaps which were present on some Series 1 VS Commodores. Between April 1996 and December 1998, Edwards drove a white VS series wagon with Telstra logos. The actual vehicle was tracked down and impounded on the same day as his arrest. How incredible is that? In 2019, a vehicle from 1996 (laughs) is still around. It hasn't been crushed, first of all. And that that hasn't been totaled. Yeah. And that they're able to track it down from owner to owner and impound it. Incredible. So they get this car back. During the hearing, it was revealed that fibres matching the carpet in the rear of Edward's vehicle matched fibres found on the bodies of both Rimmer and Glennon. You're done. You're done, Bradley. Well, the defense argued that these fibres could have come from another source or another vehicle, which was not included in the WA crime database. Bullshit. Yeah. You're fucked. It could have have come from somewhere. Where? We don't know. Yeah. Stupid so the trial which over the course of seven months included one more than one million pages of evidence that it heard from 200 witnesses and covered dna and clothing fiber evidence alone for weeks Mm -hmm. that's that's it that that's what i mean they had to be thorough with this because it's sort of like they were aiming for the king yeah that's it if you're gonna come for the king don't miss Not that I think that he's the king. He's a fucking idiot. But But he's like, you know, as far as crimes go in Mm. WA, that's the pinnacle. Mm. So the prosecution didn't have to show motive, but they did anyway. So here's what was revealed in court about Edwards' personal life and how it lined up with the violent offences. Yeah, I'm very interested in this part. Bradley Edwards was married young and moved into a home near his parents' place in Huntingdale. Just prior to his marriage, Bradley Robert Edwards had a run-in with the law. This was the attack on the social worker at Hollywood Hospital. His excuse for his behaviour at the time was that his girlfriend was pressuring him to get married they did get married shortly after i'm sorry but what (laughs) yeah that's fucked right how do those two things even correlate well he's he's experiencing emotional distress so So he lashes out he tries to rape some random lady i'm gonna go on it makes no sense yeah it makes no sense nonsensical it is it is nonsensical that's not how human beings generally deal with stress correct This is a person who does not deal with stress, right? In any, you know, you could argue he does not deal with stress well. (laughs) Um, So they did get married shortly after this, but the marriage didn't last. Edwards became obsessed with his computer and his wife felt neglected. When a male friend of hers moved in to help them pay the bills, the two began a relationship. So this male friend and Edwards' new wife. Awkward as. The wife and her lover moved out of the home. Sarah Spears went missing soon after. A few months later, Edward's now ex-wife rang him to tell him that she was pregnant with her new partner, who was the flatmate. Um, soon after, Jane Rimmer went missing. Mm-hmm. So the prosecution alleged that whenever Bradley Robert Edwards experiences a hurtful event in his life, he went out and attacked a young woman. Yeah. Notably, there were no known murders after Kira. Um, And while the prosecution wasn't sure that there weren't others that, that they just didn't know about, it was pointed out that Edwards got into a relationship just a couple of weeks after Kira's body was found and he remained happily in that relationship until his arrest. It's like the BTK, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's so wild to me that it's some of these... The, the line like, is so thin between yeah, murder exactly. and a normal family man. Normal family man, just get him a nice lady and he'll hmm. stop, like, brutally murdering people. Yeah. Like, that is just crazy it's, to me. I also, I didn't include it in any of this research, but I also read that his penis is exceptionally thin. Ew. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to body shame, but... That's such a you can, weird... You can body shame Bradley Robert Edwards. No, that's fine. I mean, like, if other people have. Oh, I see, yeah. It's, it's just a weird descriptor. I know, yeah. It was apparently one of his ex-girlfriends said that. Um, So I also think it's important to note, just talking about body shaming and, you know, he had an ex-girlfriend and stuff, he was an attractive young man. Yeah. He didn't look weird or anything. No, he did not look weird. Mm. He was attractive. He was tall. He's you know, tall, dark, and handsome, mm. essentially. Um, But, you know, so... There was a lot of information during the trial that was not allowed uh, because it was deemed too prejudicial rather than probative, but we're going to talk about it anyway. During the trial, the prosecution attempted to get items and information taken from Edward's Kudel home admitted. These were things like women's underwear with holes cut in the crotch. Apparently he liked to wear them. This is bad. Sandwich bags with semen inside them. I'm just going to let that land. Why was he saving it? What I've heard, what I've read somewhere, is that he would um, tie a woman's hair tie around his dick, jerk off into the sandwich bag with the hair tie around his dick and then save it. I don't know why he saved it, but like that. Yeah, just why, why it, it, keep it? I felt like I was going to gag just then. <laughs> <laughs> um, he had a whole bunch of homemade sex toys, uh, very like toy box killer. Mm. And most relevantly, I think and I think this should have been allowed in the trial, but I, I, you know. Is this the stories? Yeah. Yeah. He had contributed to and authored a number of graphic rape fantasy porns, which heavily mirrored the attacks for which he was being charged. Yeah. As I said, this was deemed more prejudicial and probative and therefore was not allowed during the trial. Yeah. But I read that some of the stories were extremely similar. Yeah. That's, that's right. Wasn't one of the victims names the same? No. No. Okay. I, I don't think so. I don't think so but I could be wrong. But like that is probative. Like mm. that that shows that could a clear... be a a confession. Yeah. I mean I I like understand. we don't know what those women went through in their final moments. That could be a confession. Yeah. Um I understand that it is so salacious and mm. therefore could be deemed prejudicial but I mean come on. Yeah, how... it's salacious and it's fucking horrible, but yeah. it also could be reality. Yeah. Just because he got off to it doesn't yeah. mean that like it didn't happen. And here are some other things that I thought was interesting and in my eyes point to his guilt um, because it shows the progression of his kind of uh, his maturation in, in his crimes. So whilst Edwards was living in his parents' house in Huntingdale, he became a peeping Tom at a young age. He would steal underwear off clotheslines from nearby Huntingdale residents and then further progress to masturbating in public. There are a number of police reports from this period in time uh, about a young man riding around and exposing himself and jerking off at women. There are also over 20 attacks on young women in the Claremont area during the same time period that police believe was the work of Edwards. What, just like groping people and stuff? Yeah, just shit like that. It follows other incidents in Edward's youth, including a family friend recalling when she believed Edward's had entered her bedroom during a barbecue and stolen some of her underwear. So from adolescence, he's stealing women's underwear, being a peeping Tom, progresses to jerking off in front of women. That isn't enough anymore. He progresses to physically attacking women. That isn't enough. He then attacks and rapes. That isn't enough. Then he rapes and kills. And all the while, he's feeding his fantasies on Mm -hmm. these online forums he's writing his little books he's jerking off into fucking sandwich bags (laughs) Ugh. um let's get back to the trial so the details of the autopsy on each woman were initially suppressed at the request of the prosecution um however during the trial seven west media requested the order of suppression be lifted justice stephen hall the presiding judge ordered that the autopsy reports be made public and therefore we learned what each woman endured The two victims whose bodies were found had similar injuries. They had suffered neck wounds, some as long as 30 centimetres, and some so deep that bones were exposed. Did he basically slit their throats? So so I was reading, there was a few different cuts, but one of them went from the collarbone up to the ear um, and the, it was like diamond shaped, so it was gaping. Both bore defensive injuries. Kira had also sustained a head injury, which likely had a stunning effect. They both had large gashes on their forearms and Kira also had those torn nails. As we know, it was her efforts in scratching her attacker that led yeah. to the arrest of Edwards. Yeah, And she was the lawyer. I've, I wonder if that, in those final moments, if she that thought, went through her head. I know, yeah, that's – I mean, that's been suggested that, so that she had knowledge – of how trials work and, and maybe she knew DNA was up and coming, you know. She was like, I, my last dying I know I'm going to die, yeah. but I'm going to make sure that this guy His goes down fucker. for it. Yeah. As Jane was found sometime after her death, decomposition had made it difficult to glean much from her body, unfortunately. Um, but the women were found in very similar positions, just kind of mirrored. So one was like this, the other one was like that. You know what I mean? Like, That's so, so weird. one arm, one, one of, one's left arm was up, one's right arm was up, that kind yeah. of shit. And they were both, had they been like posed like that? Uh, well, they'd been dragged to their location. Okay. Um, and they were also covered in dirt, leaves, branches, that kind of shit. So there was a, an attempt to hide them, but yeah. obviously not good enough for the two of them. The trial concluded on the 25th of June, 2020, after seven months of hearings and evidence from more than 200 witnesses, like I said. Um, Justice Hall then retired to consider his verdict in the case. You didn't mention that he stabbed himself in the ear. Oh, yeah, I forgot to say that. He stabbed himself. Before the trial started, Yeah, Bradley Robert Edwards stabbed himself in the ear in prison with a pencil. To, like, delay the... (laughs) Well, it was claimed that he was, like you know trying to self-harm but come on man like in the ear what a fucking numpty i mean he jerks off into sandwich, sandwich bags, bags yeah, yeah. um so that delayed the trial a little bit <laughs> um it, wasn't it like a week or something and then they were like yeah you're fine you're now. fine yeah fucking idiot yeah he didn't try it again <laughs> So, Justice Hall retired to consider his verdict in the case, flagging that it may potentially be handed down before Edwards' remand in custody ended on September 2020. Uh, Sorry, on 24th September 2020. On the final day of Edwards' custody, Hall handed down a 619-page written verdict within which Edwards was found guilty of the murders of Rimmer and Glennon, but not of Spears. Uh, though it was more likely that Edwards was involved in her disappearance than not, um, they he could he said he could not definitively say whether Edwards was guilty of Spears' death essentially, but because the body wasn't found but he was he said it was more likely than not that he that he was guilty of that yeah if i remember correctly his sentiment was kind of i know you did it but yes, like correct. i can't find you guilty of it and he essentially did that i think so that the judgment was safe mm-hmm. there couldn't be an appeal or anything like that yeah. on 23rd of december 2020 edwards was sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 40 years hall said there was a high likelihood that he will die in prison So he's 48, he'll be eligible, sorry, he's 50 at the time of sentencing, but they would have taken into account the time that he was arrested, which is at 48, so he'll be 88 when he's eligible for parole. So he could technically... He could technically get out, but I think he'll be denied parole. Yeah. It has been suggested by journalist Liam Bartlett, and I agree, that Spears was not the first victim, um, Mm. the the first murder victim. Yeah. He wrote that police have told the father of a fourth missing woman, 22-year-old Julie Cutler, that his daughter was probably a victim of the Claremont killer. Cutler, a university student from Fremantle, vanished after leaving a staff function at the Parmelia Hilton Hotel in Perth at 9pm on 20th of June 1988. Her car was found in the surf near the groan at Cottesloe Beach two days later, and her fate remains unknown to this day. Other possible cases include that of Lisa Brown, who was 19. She was a sex worker who disappeared on the 10th of November, 1998. And Sarah McMahon, 20, who disappeared on the 8th of November, 2000. I don't think we've seen the last of the Claremont killers victims. And I hope for the family's sake that those other bodies are found either by chance or. Yeah. I hope they find Sarah Spears, but I mean, yeah. by this stage should just be bones, but sure, like, yeah. then the family can bury her bones. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really sad that they kind of, they know what happened to her. Yeah. I mean, just but, fucking tell us Bradley. Robert Yeah, Edwards, ex- dickhead. yeah exactly. I don't get it. He's in prison for life now. He's mm. got no chance of getting out. Well, like, I I think maybe there are parole. Like, um, appeals that are happening or i you, suppose it was only 2020 wasn't it so yeah. it's still like within the period where he could maybe he's like maybe his defense is planning something but also we're like assuming that he's got like a shred of, of decency decency so edwards refused to look at his surviving two victims as they read their victim statements in court ahead of sentencing oh that caracata victim far out yeah the Huntingdale victim said she was a survivor. She said, quote, Every night of my life I fall asleep with the fear someone will attack me. Bradley Edwards now features as a villain of my nightmares and I can't make it stop. The Karakata victim said the following, quote, I hope you were treated as well in prison as you have treated us. I will live and you won't. <laughs> nice. And that is the mammoth Claremont serial killer case. Wow, good job. Glad that you covered that one because I feel like you have a little bit more knowledge of the... There's also um, a book out that I haven't read. I think it's called Stalking Clement or something like that. Um, who's that by? It's a new book. I haven't um, read it yet, but it's, um, I'm going to read it. I was I wanted to read that before I covered the case, but then the other day I was thinking about what I was going to do tonight and mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to do a, a heavy hit. I haven't done a heavy hit yet. so And that one is like... The, so personal. Yeah. As two people who grew up in Perth, that one is like the... Grew up in Perth, like, have have walked around these locations where these women went missing. Mm -hmm. No, like, have walked home from various nightclubs alone. Yeah, and I just, like, I remember when I used to work there, we used to walk past Club Bayview and, like, at that time he had not been been caught and so, because we we used to finish late at night sometimes and I used to park in the train station and so sometimes we And you had blonde hair. Yeah, and I used to walk back to my car and I used to think, and, like, me my colleagues used to almost, like, Joke, yeah. Claremont Killer's not been found yet. I know, and And Mum was concerned. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) But like, yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those. If you grew up in Perth, especially in that time period, Mm -hmm. it it's so well known. It's such a big case here. Yeah, I I can't believe that they actually caught him. I know, I know, and I think I really do think that the police should be like praised for the work that they put in. I know that people. Well, there were a whole, there were a whole bunch of past and current macro task force members uh, in the court during, during the trial and during the sentencing. Mm. So that would have been good for them. Yeah. I think that they put in a lot of hard work to get it. And like, sure. There's stuff that they did that in hindsight, you're like, they didn't need to do that. That was stupid. Yeah. But it was because they just did everything that he ended up getting caught. It's because they did random stuff and they were like, fuck it let's try it yeah that's right if they hadn't done that he wouldn't have got caught hopefully um hopefully they do find the, the bodies of those missing women yeah mm-hmm. yep Ooh, okay i need another glass of wine after that yeah well i'm gonna go home and cuddle frankie <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks for listening guys uh Oh, I don't know what I... Oh, yeah, I do know what I'm doing next week. Okay. I don't know what I'm... I don't think I've got... I haven't started my research for next week. No, mine is... So (laughs) stupid. So stupid. Now that we've, like, just talked about such a, like, important case. (laughs) What are you doing next (laughs) week? I don't want to tell you. You don't have to, but I would like to know. And I think the people deserve to know. (gasps) Mothman. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fucking hell. I'm going to get ragey again. Tune in next week to listen to Sarah tell us about the fucking Mothman. (laughs) Great tragedy on the river, Ohio. Oh, God. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. (laughs)